Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's Katie and McCody's? I, Robert Evans, <laughs> here with Cody Johnston and Katie Stoll, and this is a, a special seven-part episode <laughs> <laughs> of Behind the Bastards. Oh um, hello, how, how are y'all doing? Good. <laughs> ready. We're here. We're ready. We're back from vacation. We watched the debates last night. We did. We're all a little bit strung out. We're all a little strung out. Yeah. So let me tell you, let me, let me explain what's going on today. Uh, this is a podcast where every week I talk about the worst people in all of history in exhaustive detail. And a couple of months ago, we talked about a particularly shitty person named George Lincoln Rockwell. Yes, we did. And that three-part episode was to act as a, uh, a, a booster for a, a GoFundMe campaign I had to uh, raise money for conflict journalism. And in exchange for getting funded, I promised to write an audiobook called The War on Everyone, which I have written and which I have read, and by the time this airs, will be available on the website if you go to thewaroneveryone.com. Um, look at you following through on your promises. Look at me following through on my promises. Uh, so I also went to Syria uh, with the money made for that and just now got back. Now, one of the caveats of doing things like going to Syria for two weeks is that it would cause me to fall behind and collapse in on myself like a dying star if I tried to keep up with my workload. Oh, um, sure, sure. So in addition to running just me reading the audiobook on the website for free, ad-free, as I promised, forever, you know, uh, no, no cost, no ads, you can just listen to the audiobook. I'm also going to read the audiobook to y'all and have it as a special two-weeks section of the show because that allows me to 
both do the trip and not die from overwork. I think it's a wonderful plan. It's a good idea. So thank you both for helping me make this possible and listening to. I just want you to hear how loud this script is. <laughs> it's hefty. Yeah. It made the whole table shake. 33,000 words. We got a lot to get through. Yeah. It's like, what, 70 pages? 60 yeah, like 60-something pages. Mm-hmm. Great, 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 great. Now, to accompany us, I have, of course, my traditional Sara Lee throwing bagels. But I also have some new throwing equipment. I have some Mott's brand apple juice in a plastic container. I have a metal Starbucks refreshers, and I also have a metal can of LaCroix. I have this mayonnaise in a squeeze tube. I'm very excited to see what happens with that. And I have a partially opened sack of oranges. So call those clementines. All right. Um... The full <laughs> drinks make me nervous. Yeah, we should all be nervous. They're going to yeah. explode on all this electrical gear. They Couple. might. I threw a can of coffee earlier off the air, and it didn't burst. You also threw a knife at Stof- Sophie. I threw a knife <laughs> towards Sophie so she could open something mm-hmm. with it. What happened, though? <laughs> well, she ran <laughs> out of the way. And also what happened? What happened to the knife? Well, it opened when it hit the ground. Mm. Okay. Do you think maybe it could have opened when it hit her hand if she tried to catch it? No, that's never happened with a knife before. Okay. <laughs> you people. We're not here to shame us you. People. <laughs> this is your down. day. We people. This is your audio book. I could throw the knife, too. That is a good point, Cody. Thank you. I am so sorry. Well, what's fun about that is it's going to bounce off these soundboards, and I don't know mm-hmm. what will happen then. It's going to be interesting. Everyone it's, protect um, your eyes. Is yeah. that mayonnaise opened yet? Has it been opened? No, it's cl- it has it's been got opened. The foil it on has it? been opened. Oh. Let's see if it has the foil on it. Yes. Okay, okay, great. That's what I wanted so to know. So should I take the foil That's off? That's not why I brought it up, and <laughs> I shouldn't have said anything. Cody hates mayonnaise. I do hate mayonnaise. Why? I, I, I mean, look at it. Um, I have uh, inappropriate nicknames for it. The devil's come. Okay, yeah. <laughs> See? I told you. Well, at some point in this episode, I'm going to lick the bottom of this mayonnaise mm. in a way that will be calculated to make you feel uncomfortable. Thank you. Thank not you. Not me, though. I'm fine no, with it. Not you. No, I know uh, you would. Kind of apple juice you're done? Maybe. Uh, <laughs> Devil's come, angels come. Okay. Is, there's know. there's a distinctly non-zero chance Whipped cream, that we will, we will all have yeah. some of this oh, apple fair, juice fair, fair, when fair, I fair, throw fair. it. Well, the apple juice sounds delicious. Thank you. Yeah, I want the apple juice and then maybe one of those refreshers. Or yeah, the there's there's more in the fridge. These are for throwing. Okay. Mm-hmm. What what do you do with, with them post throw though? I never think about what happens to okay. things after I throw them. So I could scavenge for those potentially. Theoretically, yeah. yeah, theoretically. Okay, theoretically. Okay, okay. But I'm gonna okay. wait to throw them until we get a little bit further into the uh, the show today. Pace yourself, Cody. You mean uh, after we've started? <laughs> yes, <maybe? laughs> yes, right. yes. After we finally started, <laughs> vamping for twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. At yeah, top. yeah. Well, we had a lot to get through. We did. Yeah, we had to talk about devils come, angels come, mm-hmm. all of it. <laughs> Why would it be angels come, Cody? No, no, no. I was just saying that I like all kinds of come, devils come, angels come. Yes, do I regret it? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because now it's on the internet forever. And Mm -hmm. there's no way it can be edited out. No, you can't edit audio. Mm -hmm. So, without further ado. Oh. The war on everyone. Thank you. Mm. Thank you for that reaction. Mm -hmm. Chapter one. The eternal fascist. Mm. Hmm. On November 9th and 10th, 1938, Nazi stormtroopers and party members took to the streets of cities throughout Germany. They burned synagogues, shattered the windows of Jewish-owned buildings, beat and murdered hundreds upon hundreds of Jewish people in the streets. This bloody pogrom is known to history as Kristallnacht, the night of broken glass. It's one of those moments in history so shocking and brutal that it's become stained in our collective consciousness, a single moment of horror forever printed on the human psyche. Adolf Hitler and the other members of the Nazi High Command considered Kristallnacht to have been a failure. 
Rather than being enthused by the violence, the German people were horrified by this outpouring of brutality. World media harshly condemned Hitler's regime, and from their plush offices in Berlin, the Fuhrer and his inner circle began to revise their plans on how to sell anti-Semitic brutality to their people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Joseph Goebbels decided that film was the right medium to help crack this nut. His efforts culminated in the 1940 production, The Eternal Jew. The essential through-line of this particularly vile piece of propaganda was the idea that Jewish people were an age-old parasitic force, leeching off their host nations and almost habitually working to undermine and destabilize them. As with most pieces of racist propaganda, The Eternal Jew reveals more about the men who made it than it does about Judaism. There is no Eternal Jew. But there might be an Eternal Fascist. Umberto Eco was probably the first person to really grasp this idea and try to define it. His 1995 essay, Ur Fascism, is still one of the single best pieces of writing on the subject. Now, Eco was an Italian novelist, a literary critic, and a professor. He was born into fascist Italy. In 1942, at the age of 10, he won an award in a provincial competition for young fascists where he gave an elaborate positive answer to the question, should we die for the glory of Mussolini and the immortal destiny of Italy? <laughs> I mean, that is a good question. I ask myself that every is day. Is that a good question for a 10-year-old? Yeah. Right. Should we die for the glory of Mussolini? Um, No. <laughs> You're not going to get an award. Oh, it's succinct. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, no is succinct. Uh, no. <laughs> now, uh, Echo came to hate fascism slightly later in life, uh, and he came to also love the partisans and rebels who fought back against Benito Mussolini's regime. As he grew older and began to analyze his world and the history behind the war that had torn apart his childhood, Echo found himself drawn again and again to a single question. What is a fascist? Now, that's not an easy question to answer. Most dictionary definitions you will find for the word fascism leave rather a lot to be desired. Here's Merriam-Webster's definition. A political philosophy, movement, or regime such as that of the fascisti that exalts nation and often race above the individual and that stands for a centralized autocratic government headed by a dictatorial leader, severe economic and social regimentation, and a forcible suppression of opposition. Now, like, that works for the Nazis, but it does for, like, Mao, too. Yeah. Like every it's dictator. Very, it works for a, a lot of people. It's a very yeah. frustrating definition. Yeah. Yeah. It, it requires like the end to be what is happening. Yeah. I like I I encounter that so frustratingly much on the internet. Of, like, yeah. Well, the dick, it's not. Yeah. They're not doing this. Yeah. So well, that's not how it works. Yeah. So does that mean that like the Nazi brown shirts weren't fascists because there wasn't a a, a regime? Yeah. Yeah. Pinpoint the different stages. Yeah. Where they're fascists in yeah Germany in the twenties are like not. What do you? Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's like picking an endpoint, and it also it's just like you could apply that to Stalin, and like if yeah. the same definition applies, a fascism applies to Stalin and Hitler. I don't think it's a good definition of fascism. It's real bad. <laughs> yeah. Also, people just generally just sort of, they switch the word fascist with authoritarian yeah. and that's what they think it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And no, it's, it's fascism is authoritarian, but authoritarianism isn't fascism. And it's, it's a square rhombus kind of deal. It's very frustrating. Yeah. And I, I think one of the reasons that that definition is so frustrating to me is that it, it, it equates fascism to like every other system that ends with like dictators and stuff, like right. you said, with authoritarianism. And I think one of the things that it leaves out that's most important about fascism is that fascism isn't just a system that involves dictators. It's a system that arises out of and murders democracies. Right. Like that's where fascism tends to come from yeah. is it kills republics. Um, right, it's a frustration with democracy. Yeah. It's frustrating with a lot of things. It's yeah. a reaction to a lot of things. But. It's a reaction to a lot of things, but specifically it um it like like most other dictatorships come from another kind of dictatorship. Like 
you know, we got the USSR out of the czars and like neither government was good. Like as opposed to like we got the Nazis out of uh Right, it's the, a republic. The Weimar Republic, yeah. That's why like uh a lot of what uh Robert Paxson writes too because yeah. he goes through the actual fascism scholar Robert Paxson. Yeah, yeah the yeah, actual yeah, like yeah. stages that you go through. Yeah. It's like, well no, it starts here and then you go to this phase and then it's this sort right. of thing and it's yeah. it's a it's an evolution of a movement yeah. less than it is like here's what I want the government to be. Yeah. And what I like about Umberto Eco is that he understood that fascism was a singular and specific thing accepted from the rest of authoritarianism and deserved right. to be studied separately because of its ability to kill vibrant, healthy, democratic societies. Um, and I, I like that Echo, when he tried to define fascism in that Earth Fascism essay, he wasn't just sort of looking back into the past. He was trying to analyze kind of the things that are timeless about the mental impulses behind fascism so that he could provide a definition that would be useful to recognizing it again when it came about in the future rather than just like being like, is this what the Germans were doing in 1920? No, then it's not fascism. Right. Yeah. Feels like a good start to the conversation about what is fascism. Yeah, yeah, it's a great start. Um, so in that essay, he wrote, quote, I think it is possible to outline a list of features that are typical of what I would like to call ur-fascism or eternal fascism. These features cannot be organized into a system. Many of them contradict each other and are also typical of other kinds of despotism or fanaticism. But it is enough that one of them be present to allow fascism to coagulate around it. I like that idea that it's mm -hmm. like there's a couple of different things that fascism, like it, it's magnetic, mm -hmm. that it pulls these things in and it, it becomes fascism, um, but is not guaranteed to do so. Because each of these things can form right. other things, too. Right. Yeah. And they can fall apart. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, it can start and then just doesn't work. Like it did. Yeah. We talked about Eli, uh, Oswald Mosley together. Like yeah. it started to in England, but then fell apart. Yeah. It doesn't always continue to that end point right. Marion Webster was defining. Right. But it's still, that was fascism. Yeah. It's just not the it doesn't, final. It it's didn't not the win. final form. Right. Yeah. It didn't win. Yeah. Yeah, so Echo's concept of eternal fascism starts with a cult of tradition, the belief that truth has been already spelled out once and for all, and we can only keep interpreting its obscure message. Um, whether you're looking at, like, the Nazis and their concept of, like, the, 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 the Aryan civilization, or you're looking at, say, modern American fascism and this idea that there was a point in which America was great and perfect that we mm -hmm. need to get mm -hmm. back to. Like, that, that, that seems like a really... Yeah, that seems like a key aspect of fascism. Um, now, it... it, 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 it you could kind of translate this to conservatism, which doesn't mean that conservatives are all fascists, but it does mean that fascism always gestates inside a conservative yeah. movement. Yeah, right. Yeah. Isn't it usually like a reaction to like liberal yeah. movements, liberal developments? Yeah. Yeah, and it, that's another frustrating thing where like you don't want to say like you're all fascist, but it, it is, it, there is no. an element of like it, a lot of these beliefs and a lot of these things you're holding on to can uh, co like it's it can coagulate around it. And yeah, then... I just need You're to say I hate the word coagulate. Oh, I love the word coagulate. <laughs> it's, it makes my tummy sick. I, I think oh. a good way to look at fascism is like conservatives are the crew of the Nostromo in the first Alien movie. Okay, and fascism is the the chest burster mm. that comes out of that guy's yeah, chest when he's eating dinner. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Like he's not an alien. But he gives birth to one yeah, yeah, yeah. in the okay. same way that conservatism can give birth to fascism. 
And then, yeah, and then they help, and then they can many can slowly turn into them. Yeah, and some of them fight it with flamethrowers, but fail because they wind up getting into the vents and stuff, mm-hmm. and, like, you shouldn't fight an alien in the vents, nor should you fight fascism on its own terms. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. a lot of political lessons to be gleaned from Ridley Scott's <laughs> Alien. Yeah. And that's your next audiobook. <laughs> yeah. What Ridley Scott's Alien has to teach us about the nature of fascism. So uh, the next thing that... Echo stated as sort of like a, a key to fascism or as like a piece of, of earth fascism is a rejection of modernism, particularly a rejection of modern depravity. As traditionally marginalized and oppressed groups stand up for human rights in modern societies, fascists will inevitably seek to reverse these trends. The first books the Nazis burned were Magnus Hirschfeld's Library of Research on Transgender Individuals. Hatred of trans men and women is still a central unifying tenet of modern fascism. And then there's the cult of action for action's sake expressed as a worship of the soldier, of the man with a gun in his hand, willing to do violence at a moment's notice. For fascists, according to Echo, thinking is a form of emasculation. Mm. Great line, Mm. yeah. Thinking is a form of emasculation. Yeah, yeah. Thinking too long about something is like, uh, it's unmanly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just gotta do it. You, gotta you just gotta of, take yeah. action. Yeah. Now, Echo also recognized a rejection of criticism and disagreement as central to fascism. Quote, the critical spirit makes distinctions, and to distinguish is a sign of modernism. Now, I find this interesting, because in our modern era, 8chan's poll board is one of the largest gathering places for neo-Nazis on the internet. It's the community that spawned both the Christchurch massacre and the Poway synagogue shooting. It was formed as a direct result of Gamergate, and Gamergate was, of course, a reactionary movement inspired by rage at video game critics and reviewers. And women. Um, yeah, primarily female <laughs> yeah. video game critics and reviewers. We're yeah, talking well, about they sexism all had it issues. coming, so... Yeah. Yeah, I find it interesting that back in like the 1990s, Echo, looking back at the past, determines that like it's a rejection of uh, uh, criticism. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then where do we see this modern movement first really start to bubble up in a meaningful way? It's 2014 in Gamergate. Yeah, that's the precursor to the Trump campaign in a yeah, lot of ways. It definitely has a lot of the same shades. Yeah, there. Yeah, really interesting to me, and part of why I think Echo's analysis is so good because. He, you can look forward from the analysis and see that he really nailed some yeah. things. That yeah, happened most later. everything he says in that is like, oh, yep. Yeah. Fuck. Fuck. Yeah. So, uh, racism and hatred of diversity, uh, exploitation of the natural fear of differences, uh, these are the other other characteristics of Ur-Fascism. Echo recognized uh, Ur-Fascism as derived from social frustration, generally rising out of an appeal to a frustrated middle class, a class suffering from economic crisis or feelings of political humiliation, and frightened by the pressure of lower social groups. Mm. You could translate that in America as fear of white people mm. Mm. Uh, and the disappearing white middle class, uh, of you know what is reality just like growing a quality of lower right. other colored social groups but looks like losing ground yeah, if you this sort yeah. of uh, self victimization kind of yeah uh, like viewing yourself as a victim when that's not actually not quite it seems like everywhere all the time would mm-hmm. be ripe for fascism because to you know hit every on every complex society I think is yeah yeah, yeah. yeah okay. you know, there's diversity and democracy and and things like that I and just always. like um you know, a manipulation of these innate human-based fears. Yeah. Yeah. A complex free society is never more than about four years away from fascism. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I think America's especially unique too just because of our, uh, our claimed drive for like multiculturalism and, and, you know, we're a country of immigrants, all that kind of talk. Mm -hmm. Um, It's uh, easy to exploit. Yeah. And to blame. 
Yeah, and it, it's like part of the appeal of fascism is that in times of growing inequality, it promises all of its members a type of equality, which is like we're all members of this nation, right? Yeah. Th- th- that's like great, even though like we may occupy very different places within this nation, like we can all feel superior to everyone else because yep. this is the best nation. Right. A place yeah. where the you- The best people. Yeah. I'm the winner. Mm-hmm. I'm one of the winners in yeah. this world. Because you're here, you're a winner too. Um, yeah. It's more like class- collaboration yeah than class conflict yeah 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 that's that's kind of key uh now fascism of course requires an absolute rejection of pacifism since life is lived for struggle war is permanent under fascism we see this translated in our modern fascist movements in an obsession with the tools and aesthetics of war black and camo and tactical everything earlier on the day i wrote this i was browsing twitter and i came across a photo of someone's bug out bag He wrote in the Twitter post, how's this for a bug out boogaloo setup? Now, if you aren't aware, boogaloo is a far right term for the civil war that they believe is coming, as in Civil War II electric boogaloo. Mm. Now, this fellow's emergency preparedness kit for boogaloo contained no food, no water, no medical supplies. Uh, His gas mask did not have actual filters with it, but he did have an AR-15 rifle, a 12-gauge shotgun, a Glock sidearm with a 30-round magazine, and a 44 Magnum revolver, along with a tomahawk axe, a throwing knife, stylish green body armor, the same shade as his tactical backpack and helmet. Um, Just his artillery. Yeah. <laughs> Thirty pounds of weapons and no food. He's yeah. like just like hyper machismo, like gamer dorks. Yeah, God, he's gonna like... be able to shoot his food, you guys. Yeah, there were a lot of veterans being like, "So you brought four different calibers of weapon?" <laughs> 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 yeah, that's really unreal. Yeah. Are you planning on losing a lot of them? And, yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, and are you planning on like carrying different ammo for all those yeah. different guns? Yeah. Very dumb. Uh, yeah, I'm ready. Yeah. But seeing this post brought to mind what Echo wrote about the fascist Armageddon complex. Uh, quote, since enemies have to be defeated, there must be a final battle after which the movement will have control of the world. But such a final solution implies a further era of peace, a golden age, which contradicts the principle of permanent war. No fascist leader has ever succeeded in solving this predicament. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, because they all get murdered or yeah, kill themselves. All, it all kind of doesn't work out very well. Because it's a death cult. Yeah. 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 Interesting that uh, it's the w- the constant warfare is interesting too to me just because of the United like the United States being very yeah. unique to that and just like maybe two years of its entire existence has it's not been at war maybe I mean you we had we had the we had the nineties we didn't get involved in much war in the nineties much but there was still war, war. Still, oh, there was a couple still of little a couple ones. Of war. Yeah, police actions. Yeah. But yeah. it's like now this age where it's like, I mean, there are people that, uh, I, I don't, maybe not yet, but mm-hmm. within like a year or two, we'll be fighting in Afghanistan, but mm-hmm. they will not have been born, born yet mm-hmm. when we got in, in there. In 9-11, like that's, I mean, you're, you, you're born and you grow yeah, up in Yeah, but at this, this point, that, Afghanistan's not a war, it's a tradition. Mm-hmm. Ex- well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It does, <laughs> it's weird how it starts to not, I mean, it feels like a war, but it doesn't feel like a war. It's just been this lingering thing that's going on. We've yeah. got troops mm-hmm. over there. It's a state of being. And we don't now even see us. a lot of like yeah. what happens. We don't yeah. remove from it completely. Anywho. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of permanent war in Afghanistan. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's time for an ad pivot. Oh yes. For was, products and services I that was craving a little pivot. Don't profit from the war in Afghanistan. How probably? do you know that? You'd hope possibly. Not. <laughs> you never know. You never you never know. 
uh, buy these products unless the product is the war in Afghanistan, which would be a weird product to advertise on my podcast. Yeah, don't buy it. That sounds really expensive, too. Yeah. Oh, like, Cody. Yeah. Right. It's not a good deal. It's not. It, it, it just it isn't a good deal. It costs all the money we would spend on health care mm. yeah. <laughs> if mm. we were a sane country. Yeah, yeah don't buy that. Yeah. Anyway, ads. <laughs> Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit tomboyx.com. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastor on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man, Marie's a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return, your time won't, and we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's Dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of... dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. 
Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back! Sophie was very proud of me for that ad transition. As Moving like be. pros. Yeah. Clipping right along. <laughs> so, uh, back to ur-fascism. Umberto Eco goes on to name contempt for the weak, the cult of the hero, machismo, and a sense of contempt for women and femininity as other key aspects of incipient fascism. For a fascist movement to evolve, a number of these things must coalesce together, generally around the personality of a single charismatic man with dreams of power. This man will, of course, never admit to desiring power. Instead, he claims to speak for some broad mass of the population, a claimed majority that stands behind him and his movement. Echo called this qualitative populism and noted that in the modern era, quote, we no longer need the Piazza Venezia in Rome or the Nuremberg Stadium. There is in our future a TV or internet populism in which the emotional response of a selected group of citizens can be presented and accepted as the voice of the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 1996. Mm. Mm-hmm. What year is it now? Not that. Some, mm. some amount of years later. Some amount of years later. Yeah. 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 The uh, that's the the selective the qualitative mm-hmm. populism is yeah. the one where I'm always it's just the most obvious thing yeah and no one seems to at least in the media seem to care or like point it out that like he's not actually speaking for America yeah <laughs> he says he is I don't know I just don't like it not a fan not good don't know who I'm talking about just yeah. hypothetically hypothetically if there were a fascist in America yeah, yeah. just a general he it could have been a her could have been she mm. so. That's what I've got to say about Umberto Eco's ur-fascism. Um, I think it's a really good analysis. Yeah. I think he gets a lot of things, but I also think he missed something. Uh, and since y'all are listening to my audiobook, or in this case, helping me present my audiobook, <clears throat> I hope you'll forgive my arrogance in adding one new element of fascism to Echo's list. Comedy! Comedy! Uh, Irony might be a better way to phrase it. Uh, Fascism often wraps itself in humor as a way to disguise its true intentions as black comedy and test the waters for its most extreme goals. If you're someone who's paid attention to the rise of fascism on the internet, if you followed my work on 8chan or read about the alt-right, you understand what I'm getting at, but you probably view this as a new wrinkle in the history of fascism. The truth is that it goes back all the way to the beginning. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you want a picture of the personality of the Fuhrer, what he was like on a day-to-day basis to the people he liked and trusted, Hitler's table talk is about the best resource that exists. Starting in 1941, Martin Bormann, Hitler's secretary, convinced his boss to allow a series of aides to transcribe his private conversations for posterity. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. It's quite a read, Katie. Oh, my God. How did yeah. I not know about this? Oh, it's it's some hot fire. Mm. Do yeah. you know about this, Cody? Mm-mm. Also sounds really stupid of him to allow. Yeah, well. But, but I'm yeah. thrilled but yeah, that no, he it's did. Great. Yeah, I mm-hmm. did not know about this. So some of these were the traditional Hitlery ranting monologues you'd expect. Others were just, you know, chats between courses during dinners and the like. There's a lot of debate as to how truly off the cuff any of these were. But Hitler's table talk is generally regarded as an incredibly useful resource for understanding the minds of the top Nazis. In his 1998 book, Explaining Hitler, journalist and historian Ron Rosenbaum turned to the table talk record several times in his attempt to understand, in essence, how bouncing baby Adolf turned into the genocidal warlord we all know and hate. At one point, he focuses on a single passage in particular, quote, the passage in which Hitler, Himmler, and Heydrich, Reinhard Heydrich, one of the architects of the Holocaust, are ostensibly debunking the rumor, which they know to be true, that the Jews are being exterminated. It's silly that people should say such things, Hitler piously avers, when we're only parking the Jews in the marshy parts of Russia, although he adds that if it were true, it would be no less than the Jews deserved. 
It seems to me a transparent charade in which the three architects of the final solution were becoming the first Holocaust deniers, the first revisionists, so to speak, and doing so in a particularly repulsive, winking and nodding way. So Rosenbaum brought his theory to another scholar, a fellow named Lang, who agreed that this was probably evidence of Hitler and company concealing their crimes via humor, both to keep explicit discussion out of the historic record and so that those in the know could laughingly revel in their crapulence. Lang said, The inventiveness seems to me in some ways to really come to the heart of the matter, even though it's subtler than the brutality. Primo Levi used the phrase needless violence, which is not quite what I'm saying. It's the element of gratuitousness, but it's more than the gratuitousness. There seems to be this imaginative protraction, elaboration that one finds best exemplified in art forms and which in art we usually take to be indicative of a consciousness, an artistic consciousness of an overall design. Now, this is interesting to me because one of the things that you find when you really browse through a lot of 8chan conversations is a lot of talk, joking talk about how the CIA or the FBI carried out these false flag attacks, which if you just read it straight, you could see as people like legitimately thinking that there was a conspiracy to slander their website. But I think the more I read, none of these people really believe in that. It's just it's part of the joke. Like they're Mm -hmm. joking that like these massacres were carried out by like a state agency to slander a fascist website. But like, As opposed to people that they agree with and are glad. Yeah, and are they, happy yeah. that they're, yeah. they're doing it. Yeah, yeah. So for Nazis and their modern descendants, descendants, shittiness is a form of art. It's never enough to gain power or even to hurt or kill your rivals. These people's ultimate goal is to shift the nature of reality itself to be further in line with their own narcissistic beliefs. And irony is a powerful tool for achieving that. Len goes on. Brutality is straightforward. It's not imaginative. This isn't just brute strength. It seems to me that there is a sense of irony constantly. The sign over the entrance gate to Auschwitz, you know, Arbeit macht frei. Work will make you free. It's like a joke. It is a joke. The orchestra playing as these people go out to work. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, was we'll it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now, it's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right 
Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of... dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back! Now, Hitler's sense of humor is not something we talk about much, but perhaps we should. Ironic humor was used regularly by the early Fuhrer during his rise to power. In August of 1920, during one of his first speeches, Hitler told an audience that he supported, quote, removal of the Jews from our nation, not because we would begrudge them their existence. We congratulate the rest of the whole world on their company. This line was met with widespread laughter. It's so funny. It's yeah. such a funny oh, line. God. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lucy Davidowitz, uh, the Holocaust scholar who brought that speech to Rosenbaum's attention, believed that the joke and the thing Hitler's audience was laughing at was not the line, we congratulate the rest of the whole world on their company, but the earlier line, we do not begrudge them their existence. I'm going to quote again from Explaining Hitler. This, Davidowitz suggests, is an inside joke for party members who know the secret meeting. That, in fact, they do begrudge. They are dedicated to eradicating the Jews' existence. Now, reading that quote brings to mind a post I found on 8chan's poll board during one of my regular sessions browsing that image board in between the mass shootings carried out by its members. In one thread, I found Anons discussing the value of comedic memes about mass killing as a way to camouflage their very real efforts to inspire more massacres. One user typed, The best thing about this is that they, being the FBI and the CIA, will never be able to discern an ironic tongue-in-cheek frog poster from a man of action like Tarrant or Bowers. We have all the plausible deniability in the world, and unless they are going to start locking people up for shitposting, we have nothing to fear. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, mm-hmm. the, uh, it's the okay. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's the, the okay o- sign. It's the yeah. okay sign. It's all, yeah. it's all the... It's, it's also an illustration of how bad their sense of humor is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, These aren't jokes. <clears throat> yeah. What are you doing? Just doing oh. a bunch of okay signs. Yeah, yeah. Sophie is uh, signaling her membership mm-hmm. in the far right. Delightedly, might I add. Yeah, delightedly. In the decades since Adolf Hitler shot himself in that bunker, ironic racist humor has been one through line connecting every Nazi and fascist movement that's arisen around the world. 
George Lincoln Rockwell, the founding father of American Nazism, had his minions dress up in racist guerrilla costumes to interrupt events and distract attention from civil rights activists. The main weakness of Rockwell's humor was that it was far too overt and hateful to be viewed as ironic by most Americans. But down through the years, his descendants have gotten much better at straddling the fine line between dog-whistling to people in the know and maintaining plausible deniability. One good example would be Count Dankula, a failed UK political candidate. Like, before mm-hmm. you fucking said his name, oh my God. Yeah. All right. We're on the same fucking year, <laughs> right, man. Right, man. Yeah, they're vibing right now. We are vibing hard. Count Dankula, uh, a failed UK political candidate who first achieved notoriety for a video in which he trained his dog to Sig Heil. When he was fined for this, he was able to frame himself as a free speech crusader and raise thousands of dollars while claiming to fight back against political correctness. There is tremendous power within humor. It's why satirists and comedians are some of the first people purged by any dictatorial regime. It's why nothing is more important to fascists than to look cool and serious and powerful. Getting hit by a milkshake is worse for a Nazi than getting hit by a brick. Blood looks cool. Milkshakes look like milkshakes. But humor also has an incredible ability to act as a sort of ideological Trojan horse, allowing ideas to sneak into someone's mind cloaked as jokes. Actual fascists know this. It's why the Nazis on 8chan spend so much time crafting memes to spread their ideas. But this process can take place even within the head of an individual fascist. We're back! In 2016, Joe Cox, a member of parliament for the Labour Party in the United Kingdom, was shot and stabbed to death by a fascist terrorist named Thomas Mayer. Mayer's chief stated influence was an earlier British fascist terrorist, David Copeland. Back in the year 2000, Copeland killed three people and injured dozens more by setting off a series of nail bombs. He picked the locations he bombed because they had high black and Asian populations. According to The Guardian, quote, He came up with the idea when a bomb went off in Centennial Park during the Olympic Games in Atlanta four years ago. He told the police that the Notting Hill Carnival was on at about the same time, said Mr. Sweeney. He began to wish that someone would blow up the Notting Hill Carnival. To start off with, he treated the thought as a joke, but he could not get it out of his head. The thought became stronger. He woke up one day and decided he was going to do it. Now, last year I carried out a study for the journalistic collective Bellingcat. I combed through hundreds of online conversations between the fascist activists who planned the first Deadly Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville. My goal was to find out how these men had been red-pilled or converted to their extremist beliefs. Over and over again, these fascists mentioned the influence ironic jokes had had on their ideological evolution. One conversation stands out in particular to me. In it, one fascist recalled how his first red pill came during an argument over an anti-Semitic joke he self-posted to Facebook. The joke spawned an argument and, quote, Then I saw people negging Jews, so I joined in as a meme first off. Then all of a sudden, it stopped being a meme. Much of the war on everyone will discuss moments in the history of the American fascist movement that are much bloodier and a lot less silly than shit posters on the internet. We will talk about hard-bitten militiamen, vicious acts of terror, and and methodical plans of genocide that are anything but ironic. When we talk about the original Nazi party or George Lincoln Rockwell, the American militia movement that culminated in the Oklahoma City bombing, or today's meme-spouting ironic fascists, it's easy to look at all these things as separate, discrete problems, spouting up at different times and inspired by different causes. But I think that's as wrong as looking at men like Timothy McVeigh or Brenton Tarrant as lone wolves. Each swell and surge of fascism across the world and across time is more like the eruption of a cold sore. The underlying cause is a virus that is ever-present. During World War II, we bombed it into submission for a while. But like the herpes virus, it never quite goes away. It continued to lurk underneath the surface, hiding in off-color jokes at bars, hand-printed magazines, and eventually internet forums, until our nation's immune system grew weak enough for it to flare up once more. It's anyone's guess what happens next. Man, comparing fascism to herpes is... 
very good. Yeah, that that's really like the one that like I've considered like cancer and like a virus, but like no, I mean, it's something it is a virus, that you can like... suppress that there really there isn't a cure for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like you can, but it's gonna come back. Mm. Yeah, cancer is closer to like capitalism. Yeah, has to keep growing and growing and growing and yeah. growing. And otherwise, yeah. it'll yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's chapter one. I feel like I should sign off by throwing one of these cans. Does anyone have a preference as to what I throw first? Mayonnaise. Mayonnaise? Mm-hmm. Yeah! He did it! He did it. Almost hit Katie. Cody. It almost hit didn't. Cody. Mm-hmm. Would have been bad. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it was a real bounce. It didn't explode. It's fine. It didn't explode. Cody says he hates mayonnaise, but he was secretly hoping that devil's cum would I come for him. I despise it. Katie's lying. That would have been like Satan ejaculating on the back of his head. I was hoping that, too, that it would just burst. Yeah, it was, I was really oh. hoping. I guess that's, like, the best place for it to happen. Yeah. Back in my head. Unless, like... Acidic starts burning my scalp, and then I die. Cody, if you had a bunch of mayonnaise in the back of your head, you would be mad for days. I would be mad for days. It's true. I would. would. I would leave. He I would, would leave here. He right would now. never stop obsessing about it. He'd be asking, "Do I smell like do, mayonnaise? Does, is do there I, still is stuff? There still some mayonnaise in my? Yeah. It feels greasy. I just feel like it's greasy. I'm gonna go wash my hands again, mm-hmm. even though it didn't touch my hands. We have anyway. a washing machine here. You could just do the next episode or two naked inside the washing machine. Well, no. He would <laughs> of course just, not. He would just go take a bath. Your clothes would be in the washing machine. machine. I feel like I would have to go in the washing machine to take care of it. My first cat died in the washing machine. Oh, okay. Whoa! <sighs> it was too real, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck fascism. I thought I thought of that when uh, it's true. in the episode that airs Tuesday, we do that cat segment, and one yeah. of the cats survived in the washing machine. I was like, oh, Kay's cat didn't. Yeah. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah. Because they love the clothes. <laughs> yeah, actually, I, I, and I'm misremembering. It was the dryer, still just as bad. Oh, way worse. <laughs> way worse. Okay, yeah. He thought it was cozy. Sophie she is did. horrified right now. Her name was Barbie. I wasn't creative. <laughs> I was three or four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, Oof. I don't have damage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're fine. Speaking of damage, y'all want to plug your Hell yeah. Oh, goodness. <laughs> oh, we're already there. Seat. Yeah, yeah. You know what? We got a, a Patreon. Some more news. Patreon.com slash more news. Patreon.com slash some more news. <laughs> I'm not a practice. Uh, yeah, we got a podcast called Even More News. We got a YouTube show called Some, some More, more news. news. That's the name of the Twitter account also. Yeah, and I'm Katie Stoll on Twitter. I'm Dr. Mr. Cody on Twitter. Can't change it now. No, he but can't. D R M I S T E R C O D Y. Basically, just used his AIM screen name, didn't you? <sighs> Pretty much. <laughs> that was my uh, my blogging name when I wrote for Cracked. That's what my column is. Doctor Mister Blog with Doctor Mister Cody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, back in the day. Well, I'm not going <clears> to <throat> plug anything at the end of this, and I'm going to stare at Sophie while I talk about my refusal to plug anything because I think it's going to get old if I plug everything at the end of every one of these episodes. Sophie's walking over to me now. She's furious. <laughs> I can see the rage. She's more like she's face. shuffling. She's like, laughing. Like, like the printing of a book. Uh, oh, nope. She's just here to pause it. So this episode's done. There's another fucking six ones to come. So strap in. What do I, what do I plug, Sophie? T-shirts? Buy a T-shirt? Anyone's T-shirt? Oh, we got t-shirts too. We got too. a store now. We got a store now too. Oh, you guys want to plug your store? Uh, it uh, T something. It's a T public store. Yeah, if you go to our Twitter, I believe the pinned tweet has the link to our store. Great, excellent. We also have a T public store. You know, go to our website, thehuntofbastards.com, mm-hmm. for footnotes, and also to go to our merch store. We have shirts. We have 
No comment. Wow, you're fired. Well, this yeah. is the end of the podcast, uh-huh. but you know, follow at Bastards yep. Pod on yep. the Twinstagram. Yeah, it's T Public. It's T Public. I was right. It's T Public. So you were we, right. We've all, all of us, have been traveling and gone, mm-hmm. and this is we're easing back into it. We're easing back into it. It's gonna be a machine by the end. Oof, a sleeping machine. It really? Is yeah. Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit tomboyx.com. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold Blooded, the Apollo Jim murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.